Hey everyone, welcome to Scribe Book School, where you're going to learn everything you need to know about how to write, publish, and market your book. Ah, it feels amazing to get through the first draft. You get to reward yourself with some time to rest and relax because the hardest part is over. You now have a real book in your hands, but your work isn't done yet. And in this episode, we'll dive into Scribe's three-step editing process to polish your manuscript. Let's go. All right, the editing's pretty quick. When your vomit draft is done, rest for one to two weeks before editing. Like literally set the book aside. Do you know why? Because when you come back to it, it'll be like a brand new book and you'll be totally fresh. And you're like, oh, wow. Like you'll say, I thought my book was terrible in the vomit draft when I was writing it. Now I realize it's actually pretty solid. Like this is good. I'm excited. You will have a burst of excitement. Now, what to remember when you start editing your book? You wrote for yourself in a lot of ways, but you're going to edit for your reader. Ruthlessly edit for your reader only, right? And because uh, your book is for your reader, not for you. You're going to get a ton of benefits for it. But for you to get any of those benefits, the book has got to serve your reader, okay? Now, this is something to keep in mind and remember. Readers are impatient, selfish, and ignorant. And I mean just ignorant about your subject. Like, I'm ignorant about medical uh, care, right? I don't know. <laughs> like, it doesn't mean I'm dumb. I just don't know. And we are, all, I am impatient, selfish, and ignorant about books I buy, right? So it's that this is not a put down on readers. This is not slamming them. This is just how we all are. I've got shit to do. I only care about how the book's going to help me. And I don't know anything about it. Like, in fact, if you guys want to see an example of this, you guys see a couple times I get frustrated with some of the questions you guys have asked. It's not your fault. You don't know how to write a book. I'm frustrated because I know this. I've been doing it for 20 years, which is silly for me to be frustrated that you don't know how to do no, how to do something I know for 20 years. It's just natural. Right? And then I got to be like, okay, Tucker, stop being uh, frustrated. You're being silly. You're here to teach them. Go teach them, right? Uh, so if you get that way, it's normal, natural. You don't have to beat yourself up. Uh, now, but to remember, you're buying your reader's attention one paragraph at a time. So you got to keep their mindset in. So how do you keep their attention? The frame that I like to use is I assume I'm editing for a curious, smart 12-year-old, right? Uh, now, why? Because let's think about some of the best-selling books of all time. Does anyone want to guess the best-selling novel of the past 50 years? Single novel. You can put the answers in the, uh, in the chat if you want. Fifty Shades of Grey. Single novel. People are saying Twilight, The Shining, Harry Potter. Somebody okay, said best, Fifty Shades. Best-selling best novel series of the past 50 years is the Harry Potter series. Series. Single novel is uh, Fifty Shades. I guess it, not, Fifty Shades fell off after the first one. <laughs> but um, but the, in, in terms of novel series, Harry Potter by far. What do those two things have in common? They're both written for 12-year-olds. Now, I mean, if you don't think Fifty Shades is written for 12-year-olds, let me tell you the history real quick. It's fan fiction off of Twilight, which is kind of the book that blew up, uh, one of the books that blew up young adult. So it's written for the reading and, and emotional level of a 12-year-old. Doesn't mean adults can't like it. I, I read Harry Potter twice. I loved it. It's written for 12-year-olds. It's not an insult to me. Those are novels, though. What about business books or reputation books or nonfiction books? These are three of the seven best-selling business books of all time. Each one are novels or parables. You call them in business. You call them parables to sound fancy, but they're fiction, right? The point, I'm not trying to tell you to write fiction. The point is that each one of these are simple, 
compelling stories written at a, at a level of about fourth or fifth or sixth grade, which is 12 year olds. Right. And I'm not saying to be simple. Don't be condescending. Don't be any of those things, but editing for a smart, interested 12 year old forces you to be clear and direct to tell stories and to give examples and make your book appealing to all readers. Because like, I could go into the depths of the, you guys have seen, like you get me on a sidetrack and a rant about publishing, man, I can talk about the meticulous deep details of this stuff all day. You don't care. You want to know the stuff you need to know to write better, right? To do your book. Same thing's true with your readers. They, they want to know what they want to know to get the transformation from your book. They don't want to know everything you know, right? Uh, so thinking you're editing for a smart Curious 12-year-old forces you into that mindset. You don't have to use that frame. You can just use your avatar as the frame if you want. But a lot of people who use the avatar as a frame assume too much prior knowledge. And there's too much jargon. They, they, they assume too much and they lose a lot of their readers. All right. Um, how to edit your book. Let's talk about that. So there, I'm just going to tell you guys, editing is, is rough. You're going to, you get through your vomit draft. You're going to be excited. You're going to come back. You're going to read it. You're going to be like, okay, this is a solid book. Editing's rough. It's where you got to really buckle down. By this point though, you're going to have a lot of momentum. All right. So uh, if you follow this process, you will get through it. There is a three-step editing process. First step, make it right. So in this case, literally all you're doing is you're going to read through and you're going to make sure it's just three things. All the content you want is in there. It's in the right order and it makes basic sense. So like if you had all the notes where it's like, hey, come back to this later, research this later, all, this is where you fill in all that stuff, okay? Make sense? This is basically preparing yourself to edit. All right, do that once. Uh, and it, this may take a long time. Like if you, like Pam, Pam burned through her vomit draft, that's why she spent so much time in the Make It Right edit. She basically had two vomit drafts, right? I would highly recommend not doing that. Put as much effort as you can in vomit draft. It'll make the make it right easier. The second is line by line editing. This is the, this is the meat of, of editing. I recommend, this is going to sound a little crazy. This is one of those things, okay? Each sentence, line by, I mean, you read each line and you ask yourself, is it as short as possible? Is it as simple as possible? Is it as direct as possible? Is the reader going to care? Like, remember those, the, the writing principles? Same thing. And I'm serious. If you do that analysis for sentence, paragraph, and chapter, like every single sentence and then every chapter and then each, uh, each paragraph and each chapter, this is going to turn you into an amazing editor. By the way, this is based on George Orwell's Rules of Writing, who is probably the best essayist in English. So I know it seems like a lot, right? And it will be until you get used to it. The first page you edit like that will take you an hour. Then the second page will be a half hour. Third will be 15 minutes, then seven minutes. Then you're down to five minutes a page. And all of a sudden, after 10 or 20 pages, you're going to become a great editor because you're going to have these rules burned into your head. Got it? All right. Make uh, it for what this also does is it forces you to cut to only what matters, and which is the absolute key to editing. Cut ruthlessly. There's a great quote about this. William Faulkner said, in writing, you must kill your darlings. If you love something great, it doesn't matter unless uh, the reader loves it. And usually the things you're most obsessed with are not what the reader cares about. Elmore Leonard said, I try to leave out the parts that people skip. 
That's what editing is, cutting those parts. There is an app uh, or a, a website that's decent for this. It's called Hemingway app. It's right there, HemingwayApp.com. Um, it's, it's not content editing. All it does is it, it's a, just a basic simple algorithm that, that gives you suggestions based on sentence length, uh, passive versus active voice, a few other things. I use it. I think it's fantastic. It helps me cut a lot of fluff from my writing. Um, it's optional. You don't need to use it. If you don't like it, don't use it, but it works pretty well. Hey, Tucker, can then, I jump in with one thing here? I had a, yes. a question, and I want to speak to this more broadly. Um, question from Christian about like how much time per day should we allot for editing? Is it the same as we allot for writing? What Emily and I have seen working with authors and guided author is that uh, it, it works better to work in larger chunks if you can, especially at the beginning of editing, because um, it's kind of hard to do start stop when you're trying to get the whole book in your head. So um, the 250 day works really well for the writing. When you think about blocking time for editing, you may want to have larger chunks, maybe fewer per week, but um, that seems to work well. Yeah, Taylor, can you put that in the notes? Um, we always talk about that in a workshop. We need to get that in the slides. That's great advice. How's 100% right? Editing is where you can, you can do the sprint chunk thing. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Here's the last uh, step in editing. This is another one of those things going to sound crazy. I'm just telling you this works so well. So you literally read your book out loud to another human being. <laughs> I, dude, I know. I can already see. I can't see the chat. I can only imagine it. Here's the thing. You, I, like, you want a human being right there. It doesn't have to be physically now. You want a social distance. Do it over Zoom. You don't need feedback. You don't even want feedback. This is about having a human being in the room who will uh, uh, force you to say it out loud and force you to actually hear it. You'll hear the problems yourself you, you, without even feedback. You'll hear them, right? Ask me how I learned this works. How did it work? So uh, when I wrote I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell, my first book, I probably edited, line by line, edited that 50 times. I thought there's no possible way I can write a better book, at least right now. I've got to send it into my publisher. So I did. And about three months later, it came time to record the audiobook, which I did myself. And I went to the studio and I started reading and I got mortified because I found a hundred tiny little word choice, not even errors, just things that like I could have done better, that I could have phrased better had I just read this out loud that just leapt out at me as soon as the words came out of my mouth. So from that point forward, I now read all my writing out loud before I publish. Donald, who's an editor, his book's out now. It's really surprising the difference it makes reading your writing aloud. Found so many little errors I never would have noticed. It's really made a difference in the flow of my book, inching ever so closer to finally being done. So how do you get people to sit there while you read for eight hours? Well, uh, this is something we had an editor do, or uh, sorry, an author do. This is pre-coronavirus, so this may be hard to do now, but you could do it over Zoom. He hired someone, he put up a task rabbit for like cleaning the gutters at like $10 an hour and hired someone to come over for eight hours. And then when they got there, he's like, look, I, uh, uh, I lied about this. I don't want you to clean the gutters. And the dude was like kind of weirded out. He's like, no, 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 I just want you to sit at the table and listen while I read this book. And you don't have to say anything or do anything. Just listen, that's it. And the guy, and then he's like, and I have like a case of beer. And the dude looked at him, he goes, 
can I keep my clothes on? And the guy's like, yes, of course, keep your clothes on. Like you literally just sit there and listen to me read this. And he loved it because it worked really well because he didn't have to care about the comfort of the other guy if he was bored because he was getting paid and drinking beer. So it was like, you know, a great deal for both. Um, there's probably other ways to find people who will sit on Zoom with you for hours at a time. That's just one way that we had an author do that I thought was hilarious. So that's awesome. I know it's pretty good. <laughs> get so when clean do you my gutters? Yeah, right. In eight-hour gutter cleaning, like what do you have a twenty thousand square foot house? Like what the hell is going on? <laughs> when do you stop editing? Three to four passes. It, you can do the line by line edit twice if you want. That's about it. You need to go forward. For for those of you who get stuck, we created a stop editing quiz. Is, so literally ask yourself this question after you've gone through three or four times. Is this the best book I can write right now? If the answer is yes, you're done. Submit it. If the answer is no, go to question two. Can I do anything right now to make it better? Yes, go do that thing. No, submit the book. That's it. Oh, sorry. If you get stuck for writing, come to us for help. That's a slide from Guided Author. Uh, Taylor, make a note. I got to change that because that's not for the workshop people or for Tucker, the question. Um, showing up in the chat. Why can't I just read it out loud to myself? Because you will not hear. Uh, you can try it. Try it and see. Try reading it out loud to yourself versus reading it out loud to other people. Like, for, I'll give you a really good example. All these slides I practiced uh, today, this weekend. Uh, I, I've done it for God Author a million times. I edited these for the uh, online. And I'm like, oh, they're perfect. How many errors have you guys seen? <laughs> because I just did it to myself. You don't, you cannot see, and oftentimes you do not hear mistakes unless there is another person there, right? Because e even if they don't say anything. Now, I will say reading out loud to yourself is way better than not. So if that's all you can do, do that. But another person there forces you, it's like, um, you ever put on some clothes and you thought they were amazing and then you, as soon as you got in public, you realize they're terrible? Same thing. All right, next. Should you let other people read it and give feedback? Yes. If you want, but only people who are in your book audience, like your, your primary audience, your exact avatars, your perfect readers, whoever you're writing this book for, that's how you should let, who you should let read it. Uh, very important, though, tell them what feedback you want. The phrase I, we use, what did you find useful or not useful and why? When someone tells you, do I have that slide in here? No. Uh, when someone tells you what, uh, that something's working, listen to them. If they tell you it's not working, listen to them. But oftentimes, uh, when they tell you how to fix it, they're way off. Like we had a bunch of people give good feedback on our presentation yesterday. A lot of the uh, ideal uh, solutions were nonsense. But the feedback was like, hey, the X isn't working for me. It's like, okay, well, we figured out another way to, to do it. This is what undirected feedback feels like. That by, that, by the way, is a real stop sign in London, which is crazy to me. I have no idea how it works, but apparently it's a real one. But you're going to get all kinds of conflicting signals. You just say, hey, what do you think? Mm, what worked? What didn't? Why? Hey, what about letting family edit? Yes. Can I read this to my three-year-old toddler? Sure. I think that works fine. Yeah, I've actually done it with my dog before. Which, uh, my, not my current dog, but my old dog, Murph, was like... Uh, yeah, he was especially was, smart. So. Yeah, she, she was... Yeah, she, so like I was super in... Uh, she was like... Uh, my relationship with her was... 
probably a, a sad commentary on my life, but she was very close to me. Uh, and so like I would read to her and she'd just sit in the sofa and look at me as I was reading and it worked great. Um, and she didn't care about being bored. I would several not people, let family edit. Sorry, several people have also posted in about recording themselves and listening back. You don't have to listen back. That first, the actual speaking through is the part that'll help you catch the mistakes. Don't make yourself exactly. do it twice. That's a good point. Um, avoid the mom edit. It is painful and destructive. Most, it's nothing against your mom, but most moms feel like they have to say something and they have no idea what they're talking about unless they're in the audience. And so you'll get feedback and I can't tell you how many authors we've had who give it to their mom and they get spun out and over nothing, you know, like, so I would really avoid that. Uh, let her see the finished book. Don't let her give feedback. Here's a really good um, uh, uh, thing from Brita, who is a in guided author. She says, when Tucker tells you not to let other people read your book, you need to listen. I made the mistake of having someone read my book. It was with the specific purpose of not just looking at sentence structure. Uh, just looking at sentence structure and cleaning up repetitive stuff. She has a master's in English and was a published author. Disaster. Total waste of time and money. Her advice was horrible. And if it was my first book, I would have been completely freaked out. Never again will I use anyone outside of Scribe. She's in guided author, so that's why she's saying that. Um, now, here's another example uh, about, uh, I read these slides, I didn't think about this, and now I'm thinking about that I say it out loud. I need to give you guys advice about finding an editor. Taylor. We have a post about finding an editor. Can you put that in the, uh, I know it's on the website. Can you put that in the chat? You don't need to worry about finding an editor now. Wait till you finish your vomit draft and you've done your editing. Then you do need to find an editor. Yes, we do editing, uh, but there's plenty. We have a whole post that lists all, like, all the different ways to find an editor. Um, so uh, we're not the only one. We're not even close. You're going to forget all of this when it comes time to edit. It's cool. This content is up free on the internet forever. So you can rewatch this uh, episode, the, the, you know, this part. You can work through this stuff again. You can get refreshed on all of it. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you got a lot out of it. If you found this valuable, it would mean a lot to us if you shared it with somebody who is trying to write a book. And beyond that, you can support the podcast by subscribing, rating, and reviewing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Stay tuned because we have a lot of good stuff coming on Scribe Book School.